This is an ABC podcast. Do you drink alcohol? Have you noticed there is more binge drinking, whether it's by you and your friends or by other people you care about? Alcohol is a complicated drug. It's legal for adults to drink, and people enjoy it for all different reasons. But it's also far more likely to fuel violence and other antisocial behavior than illegal drugs. The family began to suffer from financial inadequacies. And sometimes there's violence in the home where it's to the wife or to the children. For a long time, problems with alcohol has been associated with men. But as women in the Pacific have more freedom and independence, has there been an increase in binge drinking among women? They're not drinking every day, but you know when they do drink, drinking to the point of intoxication. And when women in the Pacific drink to get drunk, is that dangerous or just taboo? The way that we are genderized and the whole patriarchal system, it looks down upon women who smoke or drink alcohol or even drink kava. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about alcohol and women in the Pacific. Studies show many Western women are drinking too much. In some cases, they now drink as much as men. But is this also the case in the Pacific? Recent data from New Zealand Health shows almost two-thirds of Pacific women consume alcohol, and among them, around a third were considered hazardous drinkers. The rates of alcohol consumption among men in the Pacific were more than 70%, and among them, almost half were seen as problem drinkers. And we know that alcohol and substance abuse is increasing in many parts of the Pacific. Whether women drink too much or are exposed to it through their partners or family, we know that alcohol abuse can cause a lot of harm. So how is alcohol affecting Pacific Island women? Dr. Nancy Amura is an obstetrician, gynecologist from Papua New Guinea, who has spent 11 years working in reproductive health. One of the main concerns around alcoholism among women is the risk of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder if they are pregnant. But first, why are more women in Papua New Guinea drinking? Women becoming more independent, self-reliant, and they're able to do things that in the past women were more uh, confined to at home and, you know, under the watchful care of the husband. There can be some very specific impacts of the use and abuse of alcohol on women. What are some of them? If, if we look at a woman, she plays a part in a family. And probably let's look at it in a holistic approach as in a family. When a father who is in the past so financial supporter of the family, when he goes drinking, when he starts to drink and engages in this behavior, if he's more addictive to it, he does it often that the family begin to suffer from financial in- inadequacies. And sometimes there's violence in the home where it's to the wife or to the children, and it can also lead to extramarital affairs. Now, if you look at a woman's side of it, when, when a husband does that, the woman collects whatever he gives to maintain the home. 
if it's just 100 kinship budgets and plan for the home with just that money. But now, if a woman starts to drink, now you look at double trouble here, which could be more than what guy is doing because the woman is the backbone. She supports the family with very much little things. So in terms of financial inadequacies, it's more troubling now. And also the children, there is this psychosocial impact where they live in a, an abusive environment. The girls tend to think that it's okay and it's okay to be bashed up because they've observed that. The guys think that it's okay to bash their wife when they grow up. So this kind of behaviors also makes them think that it's okay to start drinking as teenagers. And it can have very big impacts to the family, which contributes to a community and the society as a whole. Physically, alcohol affects women differently to the way it affects men. Our bodies can't break it down as quickly. So less alcohol gets us drunker faster. And drinking too much increases our risk of heart and nerve damage, certain cancers, and infertility more rapidly than the increased risk to men. Then there is the issue of alcohol and pregnancy. One of the biggest concerns now we're having is unplanned pregnancy. Women who are you know, under the influence of drinking and they get pregnant, they don't realize that. They continue to drink and by the time you realize that you're pregnant, it's, you know, you're already one or two months into your pregnancy. And Mm. that can also have some bad outcomes to the pregnancy. This risk of miscarriages is high. Women can lose the babies early in pregnancy. Preterm labor is high. Even babies who are already term, they are eight, nine months, but their weights are so small that they appear to be like preterm babies. They are also at risk of having some bad defects. Hmm. In terms of positive changes and addressing this issue, what do you think can be done to address this concern? I think the way forward is doing research about it. We can never know until we interview this woman to find the the factors that are associated with it, whether it's addiction, whether it's social, we need to find these factors that are influencing women who are drinking. And then from there, we can write recommendations or we can address these issues or these concerns. If we don't do research on these things, we'll never know and we'll base it on assumptions. That was Dr. Nancy Amura, who has worked for more than a decade in reproductive health. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. In 2018, the Samoan government invited the Salvation Army to establish services in the country because they were seeing a significant increase in alcohol and substance abuse. Natalie Senio is a drugs and alcohol counselor with the Samoan Salvos. She says just because so few women seek support for issues with alcohol and substance use doesn't mean there isn't a problem. It's still a very hidden issue. Ah? It's kept quiet. We know the shame and stigma that's associated with substance abuse uh, and many other factors you know, that are contributing to, to our women being really silent. She says the women they are seeing are usually only there because they have faced court and have been made to undergo treatment. Very few uh, are self-referred. 
not even 5% would be self-referrals. The rest have all been, you know, made to come. So they come, they, they, there's a lot of shame. They've caused shame within for, for themselves. They've caused problems within their village, uh, their ainga, their uh, often within their workplaces as a result of their drinking. So what is going on here? Why has there been an increase in drinking and why are women especially too ashamed to seek help? Unfortunately, there is not enough research being done to help us better understand these issues. But she did say that the trend towards binge drinking in Samoa is similar to what occurs in other parts of the world. We do have a a very binge culture here in Samoa where people are drinking to get drunk. So we have the continuum of alcohol use. So you can see people fit into a problematic pattern of alcohol use. So that is, uh, you know, they're not drinking every day. But when they are drinking, they are getting drunk. uh, And it's causing problems within their lives, as opposed to someone who's drinking every day and is becoming dependent or has a dependency on alcohol. So we're not seeing our woman fitting into that dependency end of that uh, alcohol use continuum. They are in the problematic place. They have limited knowledge about the facts and effects of alcohol. And so uh, without that knowledge, they you know, often aren't aware of the problems that are associated physically, socially, spiritually, you know, mentally. I don't think that we would be much different um, from other countries. Absolutely. I come from Papua New Guinea and what you've mentioned is exactly the same as what happens in PNG. The culture of drinking is they drink to get drunk and uh, also ombro, they make alcohol themselves. And it's a big, big issue in Papua New Guinea as well. With all that's, you know, the negative impacts of it, what causes this pool to drink despite the ripple effects of abusing alcohol? Well, we very much see alcohol as it's a trigger. It can be a trigger towards violence. It can be a trigger uh, towards other behavioural issues. Uh, We never, ever think about alcohol as a cause or that it is the reason as to why people do things. We know that with the binge culture that people do drink to get drunk and their behaviour, we know the effect on their brain and their personalities and, and that it does change them. And the other thing, some of the things we see here has been the very cheap availability of alcohol in Samoa. Previously, there was like locally produced vodka, very, very high alcohol concentration, very, very cheap to buy. And so when people were drinking, they had no idea of the serious consequences and significant health and other issues when people, you know, have a glass of wine with dinner, you know, that's a very different thing to what we see uh, the majority of people here in Samoa, as mm. you said, they're going to drink, they're going to drink to get drunk. We also know alcohol can be used as a maladaptive coping strategy. Yeah? When people are experiencing stress or challenges, difficulties in their lives, sometimes they look for that easy way out. Uh, or, or the way to cope, uh, the way to forget, the way that they think that it might just ease the problems in that moment. And alcohol can often be one of those things that people might turn to. But we know that when we do pick up alcohol, when we do start to drink, to deal with those things that are affecting us, that it only contributes uh, to the problem. 
But uh, often people don't realise that when they initially first start drinking as a way of, of, of coping with what might be happening in their life. We know that throughout the Pacific, alcohol abuse by men correlates with increases in violence, especially violence against women. But how does problem drinking change women's behaviour? We see uh, some of our young women, you know, maybe going out to the nightclubs and, and other things. The main charge that our women present for is for driving whilst under the influence of alcohol. Whereas with our men, we have a lot of violence-related charges that they present with. They tell us it disconnects them from their children and and their family. Sometimes like their roles and responsibilities are are affected when they, they are using substances. And of course, employment. You know, you get a criminal conviction. That's going to impact on your ability to provide for your family. And she says the reaction from the community can be tough on women who drink. The shame and the stigma that that, that is carried when our women have to perhaps present before the court, the village or even members of their own family, they tell us often look at them very differently. They are disappointed in themselves. But the, the disappointment that they experience from those around them is often quite harsh. So it's not often, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you've had a problem. Let's, uh, let's support you. Let's help you. It's often treated in a very harsh way, which, which only contributes to the silence, only contributes to pushing down you know, what those things that were underlying or contributing to to the woman's use. It's like a a disconnect. When we're providing treatment here, we see it as a way of reconnecting people back to very important protective factors in their lives. Mm. And here in Samoa, we know it is our tour, our God, we know it is our ainga, our our family, our anganu, our culture. And when we're abusing substances, it disconnects us from those very important protective factors in our lives. So when we are supporting people through our program, it's about reconnecting people to their values. It's about reconnecting people to those protective factors that they have in their lives. They just are temporarily lost uh, while they're, they're using substances. So that's something that we talk about here quite a lot. Um, you know, we're all qualified, trained clinicians, but we talk about culture is clinical. So when we bring in our treatment interventions, overlapping everything that we do and the way in which we provide services is based on culture. And for us, it's about reminding people that they have those things in their lives. Huh? And they often tell us, they often tell us, I knew it, I was just lost. And coming to the program has reminded me of those things that are, are, are important. Now, those are the, the things that will help people uh, to make good, positive changes in their lives. Most of all, Natalie is passionate about getting alcohol and substance abuse out of the shadows, especially for women, because speaking openly about it can help others. When you actually hear from someone who's got lived experience, and they tell you your their story, you know, that's really powerful for others. True. You know? At the end of treatment, 
everybody who comes through our program stands and shares their testimony uh, with others, whether that's you know in an individual but within the group program. And this is what one of our women uh, told us. Uh, she said, when I first came here, I was intimidated and I felt lost. I was looking for help and so I came to the Salvation Army program to find it. I needed to stabilize a plan, a plan that I wanted to make for myself. And in coming to the program, I was then given the confidence to share my story that I was so ashamed of. Sharing my story has reminded me of where not to be in my life. And I was also thankful that my spiritual life was awakened. I looked forward to our group sessions every week and everything that I learned, I realized I already knew but I'd lost it to my addiction and I was, had stopped applying it to my life. Now, this is from a, a woman who's now abstinent from alcohol. Um, she's reconnected to her church. Uh, she talks about being a better mother and she's just reconnected to, to her values and to, to all of those factors in her life that, you know, help her to be the best she can be. People who are struggling, not only in Samoa, but around the Pacific, what is your encouragement to them? Uh, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it's okay to talk about it. We need to just stop and take a moment to reflect on, you know, the impact that alcohol was having on, on our lives. And then look around. There are people there. Like sometimes it's not even about accessing a service. Sometimes it's about talking to a friend or a family member that you trust and just the power and being able to share that story and to, you know, express your uh, the emotions and the effects that it's having is, the, is a great start. Natalie Senio is a drugs and alcohol counsellor with the Salvation Army in Samoa. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Now, not everyone thinks women in the Pacific are drinking too much. Samima Ali runs the Fiji Women's Crisis Center and is also a member of the Fiji Human Rights Commission. Like Natalie, she is very aware of the stigma women experience around drinking. It's just that when women drink alcohol, then it's not the done thing. So it looks like even if a bunch of them are, if there's a slight increase, people will start talking about it. But we haven't had that. Everyone is drinking a lot in our countries right now, Fiji also. Uh, and, you know, we're getting those reports, but uh, we haven't had data to show or even our client files, uh, our client data does not show at all that women are drinking a lot more or anything like that. But I think on the whole, they would be part of the population that has started drinking a lot more because the drinking population has increased, whether it's men, women, boys or girls. When women do drink more than what is considered healthy. How are they generally perceived by families and the community in Fiji? Uh, well, of course, you know, like the way that we are genderized and, uh, and the whole patriarchal system, it looks down upon women who smoke or uh, drink alcohol or even drink kava. You know, so while in a village, if uh, 80 men sit down and drink kava every night and four women go out to drink kava, People will notice the four women rather than the 80 men sitting around here and whole night drinking a kava and things like that. So those, you know, women who drink alcohol are often seen as the bad women and so on, and, and they're not supposed to be doing that. So if you, for example, we've got a rape case at the moment, and the, even the media and even the people that we talk to 
the, who, who called us about, you know, some counseling for the survivors was that, uh, you know, these girls were drinking with the guys and then they got raped. So the media also reports it like that. So when people are looking at that, they say, oh, no wonder, because they've been drinking with the boys. They don't see, you know, that they get raped because the men had rape on their mind. It's them who chose to rape. It's not because she was drunk. So, you know, so that's the attitude towards this. You know, it's not something that women are supposed to do. So do you think that the issue is more about stigma of women drinking rather than there being an increase in problematic drinking among women? Exactly, exactly. It's the taboos. You know, as society progresses, people go out a lot more, and particularly in the uh, urban areas, in our towns and cities, they go out a lot more. Uh, you know, women are uh, going up the corporate ladder also. And then women just also want to relax and so on. And they have more access to, you know, alcohol or going to cocktails and things like that. So there are more visibility there. So then these are, you know, so therefore there is a stigma rather than uh, the problem of increased drinking amongst women. Now, I speak from the PNG perspective, you know, women, you know, women can drink and may not be violent or anything like that. Uh, but men, when they drink, the opposite happens where they become violent and so forth. Why is, is, is there a difference in the way society views men than women? Why, why is that different when men drink? Well, you see, men have used alcohol as an excuse over centuries, over decades, you know. Uh, and, you know, if they rape while they're drunk, that used to be a mitigating factor. You know, they're allowed to drink because they are men. And that's how we are brought up. And that's how society looks at men and women, differenti- differentiating their roles, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. Uh, domestic violence, but beats up his wife, oh, because he's drunk. Alcohol is not the cause of these things, you know, so it should not be used as a mitigating factor. It's a contributing factor for domestic violence where men, um, you know, uh, men uh, spend a lot of money, stay away from home and so on, and arguments arise out of that. And when they can't have answers, then if he's that kind of man, he'll beat up the woman. Even when women drink, they're scared to come back home because they'll get beaten up again because they have disobeyed and broken the taboo. So, uh, and women often don't, uh, when people tell me in, in our workshops, when they tell us, but women drink alcohol too. I say, yes, but they don't behave in the same way. They actually get beaten up for drinking alcohol rather than men getting drunk and beating up people and women and so on. So, yes, there is that differentiation and, uh, and, 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 and different treatment. One is allowed, acceptable, because, only because they are men. The other one is not allowed and it's not acceptable. And are you seeing women who want to drink less, whether it, it's because they are ashamed of the stigma or is it because they do have a problem with addiction? No, I don't think they have a problem with addiction. There are more alcoholic men around that I know, you know, than there are women. But women do. In rare cases, we have seen where women take to alcohol. You also have to be able to afford it, you know, and... Uh, and women don't go around making homebrew and things like that. If they have access to it, it will be through the men. But women can't afford it. But some women, very few, very small percentage, they do to cope with what they are going through. You know, whether it's domestic violence. I've seen young women 
who have gotten addicted to drugs and uh, alcohol because they have been repeatedly raped, they're out on the streets and so on. So that's a coping mechanism. It's also with prostituted women and men and, you know, and transgender women and so on, that they get addicted to drugs and alcohol just to cope with the kind of life that they have. But often women don't because the burdens on them are too much. How do they cope with housework? How do they cope with childcare? If they go around drinking, they're not allowed to socialize as much as men. They're not allowed to go. Uh, they also don't have the freedom to socialize with who they want to. You know, they, that also is, uh, is um, uh, you know, the, uh, how shall I say, they have restrictions around that socialization. One is that, and even if they're allowed to, it will be, she will know who she cannot socialize with, where she can go, where she can't go, and so on. So, you know, so those restrictions are quite a lot. Mm. And what sort of support is available for women who are fleeing uh, alcohol-fueled violence? Well, what we all do throughout the Pacific, you know, Papua New Guinea, Solomon, Vanuatu, us, Tonga, and so on, uh, we have the crisis centers, we offer them help. And uh, unfortunately, often um, because we are so under-resourced in terms of housing and women are really the you know, the uh, poorest of the poor, and so on, it's very difficult for them to flee a situation. They remain because they have got nowhere to go. If they do come to us, we are able to give them respite. We in Fiji, we try to, and I know Vanuatu does that, and some of the, you know, in, in Papua New Guinea, we work and some of the organizations we work with uh, in the highlands, we try to place them back with families who will take them back in. In Fiji, we also have some resources people donate to us that if we place the woman in with another family or a friend or a sister or somebody, that we will provide that family with groceries so they will give refuge to the woman. Or we have got our refuges, you know, and then we have to move them to, if they really decide to leave a situation, then we have to find cheaper housing for them, which is very it's, you know, difficult and expensive. But most women go back into um, violent situations because there is nowhere else for them to go. And also this whole thing about I have to be married. If, if my marriage breaks up, it is my fault. Everyone will be blaming her and so on. You know, so it, women often take it upon themselves to make the marriage work. So they might come out and report for a while, but they will go back in there. And there's a lot of pressure from churches, you know, from religious organizations, from family to keep the family together. If women are victims of alcohol-fueled alcohol violence, what is the first step they should take? They should, first of all, uh, assess their risk very quickly and get out of there as fast as possible. Because uh, when men are drunk and they're being violent, like uh, they, there's no holes barred. You know, they can be more vicious than if they were sober. Uh, because, you know, there's no filters. So I would get her to get out of there as fast as possible. Often that's not okay. It's not easy for her to do it, particularly if she's got three, four children in tow and small children. So I would get her to do that. And if she knows that this thing happens, then she should start making her safety plans. For Fiji, I know Vanuatu, I know Tonga, these places have got toll-free lines. You know, for Fiji, we have got a toll-free line from any outlet. So if she's got access to a phone, she calls us, she tells us immediately where she is, we'll go and get her, we'll get some of our people that are you know, scattered around uh, the, 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 the country to go and give her some help. But she needs to 
women who live in these situations and she knows that, okay, uh, my husband is a very good man, but when he's drunk, he's like this, or, you know, today he's got in a bad mood or something, then she should already have made her plans with her neighbors, uh, you know, keeping uh, spare clothes and saying, look, this might happen, be ready to take me and the children up. So she should start doing that. If she sees a counselor, the counselor will plan out all her stuff if she sees the counselor before the incident happens and she's living through it. Which is not a one-off. You know, this thing goes in a cycle and it keeps on going. So when it happens, women should not ignore violence. Shamima Ali runs the Fiji Women's Crisis Centre and is also a member of the Fiji Human Rights Commission. Thanks to all my guests today, Shamima Ali, Natalie Senio, and Dr. Nancy Amura. It's been so helpful to hear a range of perspectives on this complex issue. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is sistas at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, we talk to Ruth Kisam, one woman who has been a strong voice for victims of social violence in Papua New Guinea, even at times risking her own life fighting for this cause and why it's a personal quest. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stunzner. Our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time.